This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning and welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm here today with Dennis Whittle, who is a retired educator and a fantastic organic gardener. And I, Dennis, I think I met you when... Probably I, back about 1983 or so when I was work, principal of Midway Elementary. I, I was at Midway Elementary doing a kids' gardening program yes. there. And one of the things that impressed the heck out of me was here's this person with a doctorate out sweating and hauling compost and digging in the dirt. And you were... Doing it with joy and gusto. The best part of my day was being outside. <laughs> I, I enjoy being outside and um, the realization that kids know so little about food is scary to me. It is very scary to me, too. And that's one of the reasons why I did the kids' gardening program. Even up in Forsyth County at that time, there were a lot of kids that didn't know where their food was coming from. There are a lot of adults who don't know where their food comes from. And unfortunately, that's even more so now than it was 30 or so yeah. years ago. And, and it's really critical. Kids will eat. You know, there's this big push about getting kids to eat the right foods instead of junk food. But kids are going to eat that food if they're exposed to it, if yes. they grow it. If they pull it out of the ground. Yeah, I remember one little boy who was just adamant that he was not going to eat turnip greens in the program until Janet Mack cooked him up for her for him for the class, and he everybody else was going, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, and he finally decided to try it, and he ate the whole thing. And they eat the whole thing because they, they, they have some ownership to it. I think, yes, I think ownership is, is a good way to put it. Um, they've tended the crops. They've had a chance. I know a lot of the teachers would let the kids that behaved the best could go out with a watering can. And so it turns some, even some kids that didn't want to behave very well in class, um, kids that it were, you know, kind of maybe a little active, um, and would otherwise have been labeled troublemakers. They became interested in the process. And sometimes I think it's a wrong idea to have the best kids do the jobs because it, I was be, I began my career as a special ed teacher. And I taught behavioral disordered students, and many of them needed hands-on. Yes. They needed the hands-on. They needed to be busy. They needed to, to you know, taste the dirt. Mm-hmm. Smell the dirt. Be part of the dirt because yes. they were. They just don't learn the same as some of the really good kids who can sit down for forty minutes and read a book. I remember one yeah. little boy in one of the classes that I taught. It was a special ed class. He took joy just in going out there and sifting the soil through his hands. In five minutes of doing that, he was really interactive yes. with the other kids where he hadn't been. He had always been kind of withdrawn before. And when I partnered them up, as you recall, we drew little lines with our fingers yes. across the raised beds and. And the kids would each plant their seeds, and one child would hold a hand so they could, the other one could space between and, hands. And they were learning some measurement skills. Learning, learning measurements, learning to plant the seeds, yes. and learning to interact as a team, too. Yes. And that's something that I don't know, I don't see that so much in schools now. And I, I'm really afraid that kids are not getting a chance to be outside and exercise as much as they used to. Being outside, playing interacting, understanding 
all of that that is about you is so critically important. I've gotten kind of excited with the permaculture people because they talk about going out and looking and watching and then trying to recreate what is out there, garden, how things grow in the real world. And, you know, that's a different way of looking at it. And for some kids, that is exactly what they need to do. They need to kind of like, oh, this is it, because reading the book is really kind of dry. It is. It can be for many kids. I wasn't, uh, you know, I was reading by the time I was two years old, so I, you know, really liked reading. But I also took my book outside, Mm -hmm. and I needed that outside time. Yes. Now, we're talking a little bit about kids gardening. Um, When did you start gardening? How old were you? Were you, was your family a gardener? No, my my family, I, I, life circumstances was such that I I ended up growing up in my grandparents' home, and they were both immigrants. And wherever we lived, and this was in the Bronx, in New York City, and um, wherever he could find a little space, he would have a few tomatoes and a few potatoes. And um, he would just always did that. And I, I learned a little bit from him, but I never really had an opportunity to have a large garden. We never, we lived on a 40 by 100 lot. Mm-hmm. And so it was rather small. And there was not, by the time you put a driveway in there, and a, it looks like a tall outhouse is what we lived in. <laughs> and, um, I'm familiar with some of the old houses. Yes, the uh, so it was really not a lot of place to put anything. But I... I just became interested, and I happened to marry, uh, and my wife is from a vegetable farm in upstate New York, and her parents and her grandparents grew vegetables, and they sold them in roadside stand. How fun. And so you just kind of learned by helping her? I, I learned by watching, and and I love being outside. I'm I'm one of those people. My wife says that hyperactivity is only a problem with school-aged children. And she looks at me and like, I have, I have to have the exercise. I have to be outside. I have to keep going. And so for me, working outside just totally made, made sense. And in our first house, um, we had a place for a garden, and I, I put it in a garden, I, I think. And she was always amazed because... I would read the books and do all those kind of things. And she grew up, you know, with the John Deere tractor, and they had, you know, 90 acres, and everything was spaced. And, of course, they used all the, you know, DDT and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a time in the, you know, 60s, 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s is what they did. And she was just like, look at it and say, those are too close together. And I would say, no, this is going to work. This is going to work. <laughs> and, and it did. And, you know, with time... I learned more, and then when we moved to our present home, which we have 10 acres, and so I was able to put in gardens and really, really got into the organic ideas. So I've been organic now for 37 years of planting, which is a a long time in the organic world. That that is, and that's you probably started in organics about the same time I did when I realized that... Well, of course, I read Silent Spring. I read Rachel Carson, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and my dad was a chemist. And one of the yeah. things, my dad, of course, did use chemicals. But he always said, 
you know, you got to consider the cost-benefit ratio. Mm-hmm. What is going to be, now they call it collateral damage. Yes. For example, spraying, okay. if you're spraying insecticides to kill squash bugs, how many Other bugs, bugs, are you kill? good yes. bugs are you going to kill? How many bees are you going to kill? Uh, and, of course, as you know, bees are a big problem. Yes, have two hives. Now, how did you get into beekeeping? I'm not the beekeeper. I am a friend of a beekeeper who puts two hives ah, at my house and okay. gives me honey every year. Oh, that's that's a wonderful arrangement. That's a beautiful arrangement, <laughs> yes. My neighbor now is hosting four beehives okay. for somebody, too, and I, I, get, I assume that that's his, yes. going to be his reward also. But, you know, I expected that the honeybees that were from his hives would be more active in my garden than they are. Are they active in yours? They are very, very active in ours, and they're really nice bees. They're Italian bees. Mm-hmm. Italian they're bees sweet are kind ones. of yeah. yeah, laid back, and we have a lot of pollinators in the garden. Uh, we right now the Bermuda, uh, the buckwheat rather is in. Oh, bees love, love buckwheat. buckwheat. But before that, they were crazy for the Cleome, and I grow. Cleome for two reasons, or three reasons probably. Uh, one is it's a beautiful plant, and I grow it around the edges of my garden, and I have found that it is a deer, deer fence, a living deer oh, one, fence. I didn't know that. I, I can see that that would happen, though, because they're kind of prickly. Oh, they're very prickly, and they, their sap in them is just, it's kind of nasty and sticky, and... Um, and then the bees love them. They, they just have a grand time. And I was out there this morning, and the bees were all over them. I think there were more bees in my Cleome than in my buckwheat. So, yeah. That, that's that's unusual. I wonder, maybe because it was taller it's and taller. getting su- more sun yeah. at this time of day? Well, it's, and the buckwheat's just coming in. It's, I, I, it's a replacement uh, cover crop for where I had both potatoes and um, cabbage. Now you said there were three reasons you grow Cleome. One color. for the... The color, color and the deer resistance, and for the bees. For the bees, yes. Okay. I grow Cleome most years just because I like it, yes. and because it's so easy, and it will self sow a little bit, but it's not obnoxious about it. I reckon I recommend Cleomes and zinnias for beginner gardeners. Yes, Cleome. Um, I think it's more than a little um, coming back. <laughs> I, it, I think my we went away for. a three weeks in the spring and when we came back I have a person stays at at the house, keeps everything watered and everything in place. Not a weeder though. He definitely does not do weeding. And the Cleome looked like it was going to take over the entire garden. So yes, we we carry out carts and carts of it every year. I used to just run a rake through the patch of Cleome early in the spring. You know, let half of it germinate and and run a rake through it, let the other half finish germinating, run a rake through it again, and a big old heavy iron rake. No pulling weeds for me. I don't I don't don't do that. As you saw this morning you saw my garden. Yeah. I, I don't do weeds, and I can't do weeds anymore. Yeah. Our our garden's laid out in large beds, so the Cleome really goes around these beds, mm-hmm. and it really it's fence like. And three years ago, somehow there was a little spot, and we could see where the deer was able to reach in for the sweet potatoes. Oh, <laughs> so we quickly dug up some Cleome, planted it there, and end of deer problem. It was just, it's amazing. I bet some of our listeners are going to go out and get a package of Cleome. Make right sure you now. get uh, Cleome that will reseed. I, I thought all of it. There are some are new, new varieties, of course. Oh. Somebody decided that you know was 
involved in too much weeding or something, and so they, they have these new hybrids that don't reseed very well. That's too bad. You know, I, it, it is I, too bad, but I understand. And why. I know they've been breeding them for being short, too, yes. so that they would fit on a Home Depot shelf or yes. a Lowe's shelf or something like that. And that makes me crazy to have all the plants the same height. I, yeah, mine are probably five. They're taller than me, so they're probably more like six feet. Wow. Very tall. It's very rich soil, and they, they just have a grand time growing. Now, you used to grow, you used to haul horse manure all I used the time. To, I haul horse manure up into about two, three years ago. I was always able to get really aged manure, three, four years old. And I use it more as a top layer compost. I would mm-hmm. get it in the fall and just put it on the soil. Um, I try to limit how much uh, tillage I do. And so it would just lie on there, and I would just be able to move it back and put the seeds in. I did notice occasions where things wouldn't sprout. Okay, and then I, I would get some, you know, mm-hmm. market soil, and I, I would put market soil in, and, and it would sprout. So I always had kind of um, some questions about it, but I don't always feel like I got the straight answer from my farmer. And so... Two years ago, three years ago, I decided no. This is I'm not going to do this anymore. I, it's I kind too of, risky, isn't it's it? Risky. Now with the yes. long-term herbicides. Yes, and you know my advice to people who are looking for manure, I would say always look for a field with a lot of a lot of weeds in it, and mm-hmm. you know where the horses went in at night. And I never really considered his field to be perfect. It was in mm-hmm. a landscape perfect field so i thought it was pretty safe and getting a three and four year old and then laying it out all year um on top all summer the persistent herbicides came in when i was still working for extension and i remember one year a farmer came in and he had always been a great farmer and he said i can't nothing came up but the corn yes we're going to talk a little bit more about the persistent herbicides when we come back from this break quick stakes that's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and with me today is Dr. Dennis Whittle, who's a very fantastic organic gardener, whom I've known for... for I, it's the stuff that comes out of your garden, Dennis, is just astounding. We, we do produce a great deal of food. Uh, we, and, uh, our, we can, we freeze, we dehydrate, and we store. So we... We use and you feed the food bank, too. And we feed the food bank. Yeah, last last month we gave away 270 pounds. Wow. Yeah, it was cabbages and potatoes, which I always like to give those because they weigh a lot. You give away lettuce, it weighs <laughs> nothing. So when you're keeping score here, you know, potatoes and cabbage are the way to go. And plus... They're good, nutrition. Yes, they're, they're very, yeah, very nutrition, and they store well. Yes. Now, before the break, we were talking about persistent herbicides, and yes. I mentioned that when I was working for Extension, one of the very fine farmers, he was one of the organic farmers, one of the few organic farmers in our county at the time, and he came in, and he just absolutely had no clue what was going on and nothing grew in his garden yes, except agree. corn. And I could see that happening. When we started asking him about it, you know, had he put any herbicides around? Because that was at the time right. when Roundup was getting to be uh, used all, all yeah. the time. And they didn't know at that time how detrimental that was to tomatoes if you sprayed it before you planted your tomatoes. Um, but no, he hadn't used any chemicals. Mm-hmm. He'd done what he always did. He got manure from his neighborhood farm yes. and brought it in there and put a whole, whole bunch of it uh, mm-hmm. down right like he always top. did. Probably worked it in. Yeah, he tilled it in yes. and he planted everything and nothing came up but corn. And the reason, of course, is that corn, corn is a grass and yes. these herbicides are used on lawns and pastures to mm-hmm. keep other weeds down other than grass. Yes. And they persist. They go through that. What blew our mind when we finally figured it out um, and we had to have the whole university extension service people down in Griffin, down at the turf farms, figure it out for us that it was, they had used a product called Grazon, yes. which at that time Very was new. Grazon, yes. And you, you probably run yes. it. Yes. And it, Grazon became very popular very fast because you could, at least in our area, because we were getting infested with, with musk thistle. And musk okay. thistle was really hard to kill unless you got it when it was very, very small. Okay. And if a farmer didn't get out there early in the season and take care of the musk thistle, pretty soon you have this giant plant and you can't get rid of it. You can't it. get rid of it. it. The taproot is incredible. The yeah. taproot is incredible and it's... It's very, very persistent, very strong against herbicides. Yes. So they found that they could apply Grazon over the top to the pastures mm-hmm. and kill off the thistle before they harvested. And that's where the problem came yes. because the farmer had used the Grazon on his pastures. And it goes through the animals. Yes, and and right in the manure, and it stays in the manure in the manure for a couple of years, it depending on, yes. on how it's composted or, or what organisms are there to break it down. And even several years later, I've noticed some people that are still having problems with it. I guess I got away with it because I sheet composted and then I would just move it to the side and plant right back into the soil. So, so I maybe probably you, and, and avoided you were, some of the, the yeah. issues. But I, I did have a couple of years where I thought, wow, this is strange. This is not germinating. And then I moved the soil and I brought in some soil and put the seeds in fresh soil. And I Oh, this is growing. And that's when I kind of realized that uh, maybe this is not a good idea. And plus, you have to worry about bacteria. Yes, you do. feed a lot of antibiotics to cattle. 
and yeah, especially, especially the big operations. Yes. It's not so prevalent in smaller operations no. because they move their animals around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was delighted to see when I went back to Wisconsin a few years ago that cows are back outside now. And University of Wisconsin did a big study and found out that in many cases it's much more efficient to do it the old-fashioned way. It is. Get the cows out on the pasture mm-hmm. instead of having to bring in all, so much food and having to worry so much about bacteria and disease and and the cows are happier, they're more pleasant, the milk is of a better quality, and so why confine them? And you end up with these big areas where we store all of this manure, you know, pigs in oh, South Carolina. Yes. And, you know, we just had to close down 400,000 people's water because of an algae bloom. And some of that, they're linking back to the manure that comes out, out of some of these great big farms. Because I, I hadn't you, heard that. Yes. Um, I know that a few years ago there was a big problem with um, pig slurry in yes. the Carolinas that had yes. gotten into contaminated or a major river that was, again, a drinking water source. Um, but if people want still want to use manure, they can, of course, check with their farmer. Yes. One of the problems is that if a farmer is bringing in store-bought hay, you don't, you don't know. Right. Now, alfalfa being a, a legume isn't likely to have it because it alfalfa will kill. here is extremely expensive. Yes, alfalfa it is doesn't very grow well here. It, it is. It has to be brought in from yes. the west. Um, so that's one way that mm-hmm. they can be assured. And I know some people with Arabian horses that will import the yes. stuff for them. Um, but in addition. Composting is helpful. I always, even before the problem became as widespread as it was, I would never get manure from a pile that didn't have weeds around it, especially chickweed. Chickweed is a good weed, yes. Um, And but I, for those that can't, don't know their source, can't check out their source. There is something you can do. You can do a little bioassay. You get you know ten cups of soil, Mm -hmm. both, and put you know use potting mix and then put some of the manure in half of those cups and then plant something that's really sensitive like beans or lettuce into it and you can tell pretty quickly then if it doesn't come out Within a week, or or if it comes out up and it's distorted then you know that you you don't want to use that stuff yes. anywhere maybe on your lawn but i don't even want it on my property no particularly okay now tell me about your you mentioned that you had how many pounds to the we gave away 270 pounds that blows me away. Yes. The sad part, though, we plan for 150 out- outreach. We have a non-typical outreach. We we do things that are not covered by SNAP or food stamps. So we do detergent and diapers and those mm-hmm. kind of items. So food is not part of our outreach program. But we had figured 150 based on the year before, and we ended up with 176. I, I prepared you know, 150 bags. And I, felt really, I felt really bad because of the last 26. I thought, you know, I, I didn't know we would have more. We were all kind of surprised when we had 126 more. And, and you know, there's just a limited amount of food sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. I'm, but I sometimes take it up to the place. And first time I took a large quantity of potatoes up, they looked at it and said, well, we'll have to separate these out. Uh, we'll give each family two. And I looked at them, you'll give each family two potatoes? I said, that's not very much. She said, you have no idea how many people we feed. 
I've been astounded over since the since the depression of 2008, which yes. I don't care what anybody says. It I think it's still going on. Yes. There are an awful lot of people that are not eating. There, and it breaks my heart. Um, I also take food to the food bank, yes. and it breaks my heart to see elderly people that have never accepted any food or any kind of aid before in their life that are having to rely on food banks for their nutrition. We have a large number of people, you know, I'm in my second half, my 60s, and they're older than me, and I'm thinking, wow, this is a tough because they're just people, they're regular people. I, I think, you know, one accident, I could be I could be there. But one of the things um, that we do is we have four raised beds at church. They're six by... 16 and one six by 20 and we grow a lot of food there i took tomatoes yesterday to the uh, to the place tomatoes won't last until the end of the month when we do pantry and in today's electronic version of the ajc there's a a special about a church unfortunately it's all the way in california i know the catholic church in our county does a food bank mm-hmm. if more Churches, because a lot of the churches in Forsyth County have large acreage. Yes. We could easily feed a lot more people. We could, and no. there are also a lot of social clubs, VFW yes. and organizations like that that can get involved. Yes. I know in our county, the 4-H kids are growing food for the food bank, too, and there's just such an incredible need for it. And um, raised beds are... Absolutely a cinch. They, they are. They are absolutely a cinch. I'm, a, I'm, I'm just amazed at how easy it is because I, I, my garden's in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Georgia clay. Yeah, it was Georgia clay. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you know something else now. Yeah, the last time I saw your garden, which was several years ago, it had turned from red mud to brown. And yes. uh, you probably remember that when I was teaching master gardener classes and some of the classes yes. for the homeowners, that I would bring in what I used to have, which mm-hmm. was you, you very much it. akin to brick, you can change and then yes. show what I had now. Um, but, you know, there was a brick factory, not too far away from where either one of us live before, around the civil time of the Civil War. That kind of stuff is nuts to gardening. Yeah. So raised bed gardening is helps a lot from a couple of angles. One is, and I t- we talked about this a little bit with Shannon Pavel last week, that it's a confined area. You can build up the soil. Um, it's also because it's a defined area, you can feel good about having your, done your job weeding. Yes. It's weeding, not, weeding. Li- not like a 100 by no. 100 foot garden. No. My, my, I said my wife grew up on a farm. She was the only child on the farm. Oh my. I mean, how many blisters did she yes. have on top of her yes. calluses? Yes. So, uh, from yeah. all that hoeing. So yeah, she I think sometimes she's kind of amazed that you know, the raised beds at church, how easy they are to take care of because we have so few weeds. How many? What did you fill them with? Uh, we did potatoes um, in the spring, and we have one that is in tomatoes. Uh, in the fall, we planted cabbages. Talk um, pretty much with cabbage. Um, surprisingly, a lot of people do not like broccoli. When I take it up to the place, I became. I went down to St. Pat's Episcopal Church and to really kind of learn a little bit about how what to grow and how they did it at St. Mm-hmm. Pat's Episcopal Church. And they said, you know, don't grow arugula. They really don't <laughs> like arugula. 
grow leaf lettuce. You know, they like cabbage more mm-hmm. than broccoli. Like, okay, I can do this. And, you know, cabbage actually goes further than, than broccoli. Yes, and it can be used so many ways. Yes. You, you can cook it. Um, you can do it, turn it into sauerkraut. You yes. can make it into coleslaw. Yes. It's you can use easy. it to wrap, you know, yes. stuff, stuff cabbage yes. leaves. And there's only so much you can do with broccoli. Yeah, Other there is. And, and a it. lot of people are super tasters, and broccoli tastes bitter to them. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you remember what our former president, yes. he was not going to eat broccoli. He was not eating broccoli. <laughs> Even with cheese sauce, I thought, yeah. okay. I, I fortunately love broccoli. I love broccoli, and yeah. I love cauliflower, and I grow both mm-hmm. in the house. So. We'll have to talk a little bit about growing cabbage, cauliflower, and broccoli, and all those lovely little green worms. Okay. <laughs> and what kind of problems are you having with them? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're... Uh, when we talk about things for the food bank, we have to take our own food prejudices out of it, don't yes. we? Things that they that they know, like carrots. Yes, you can grow. happy with carrots. I'm on a, a quandary because this year I grew five different types of potatoes. I uh, grew Yukon, Gold, uh, Red Pontiac, Kennebec, and then I grow I grew a red potato, which is red all the way through, and a purple potato, which is purple all the way through. Oh, I'm intrigued by those. And they taste wonderful, but I'm not sure if if I brought them to the food bank, if people yes. would eat them because uh, where they're I go different. To, yeah, yeah. Like, we'll talk about that okay. difference in in what people are used to eating yeah. right after this break. Quick steaks. That's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Hour. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Dr. Dennis Whittle, and we're talking gardening. Specifically, right now, we're talking food bank and growing for food banks. And we mentioned right before the break that you're growing some purple potatoes purple all the potatoes way through. Purple potatoes and some red potatoes. And the purple, they're called Adirondack purple, and I did, or Adirondack blue. Blue and purple in the mm-hmm. art world is yes. the same color for some reason. And... They, I had to buy them online, so you know you're not going to find them at, at the garden store. The Adirondack purple have are nice large potatoes. The ones I've grown before are what we call fingerlings, very mm-hmm. small, but these are nice large potatoes, and they outproduce. Uh, I was very surprised they outproduce my Kennebecs, which is normally my wow. heaviest producer. And when I pull them out of the ground, they, they come out of the ground like a stringer of fish. 
That's amazing. It is amazing. I just you like, have to save me some seed I, potatoes. I got to try that. Yes, one. and they're, they're, they've been wonderful. But you know, if I take them, well, the lady at the gym who operates the gym, I brought her some of the red, the, mm-hmm. uh, the blue, and the white. She said her husband wouldn't eat the blues or the reds until she ate some. <laughs> That sounds like a little strange relationship. Yeah, yeah they, you know, I just that's kind of what I thought too. I thought, you know, you know, I was going to poison somebody. I probably wouldn't go with the potato route. You know, the leaves are poisonous, but not the potatoes. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was fortunate. My when I grew purple passion. Um, potatoes a few years ago. My husband will eat just about anything that I put in front of him, including, and I made purple potato salad. Okay. That was pretty weird because by the time you put in the mayo Mayonnaise and everything, it's a little bit mm, lavender. Yes. But it, it tasted okay. We did red, white, and blue for Fourth of July. I, I think that sounds like a yeah. wonderful idea. Yeah, so. And what was the, do you remember the variety of the red one that you grew that was it's red? It's also called Adirondack red. Adirondack yes. red. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, but yes, and when you take things like like that to the food bank. People are just not they're not interested. They're, no. They've never they have never seen it. No. Well, I, I guess some people have because there are you know foodies are going broke too. That's true. Just like the others. And maybe some people if they were from Chile or Peru would be yes. more aware of that potatoes. There are six thousand varieties. Of potatoes. Oh yeah, I, I looked at some of the research that they were doing in Peru on the seed seed potato stock. I, I was just blown away by some of them and, and by some of yeah. the strange names that they have. But I, I, I think you're on the right track. Growing, you know, red Pontiac know. and Kennebec, growing yeah. stuff they know. Um, a few a, a year or so ago, I was bringing food to the food bank, and a little lady came, little tiny woman, uh, whispered something to one of the young men there that that do, uh, do the food preparation and, and food distribution. And after that, she came toddling over to me, and she just gave me the biggest hug in the world. Yes. Because I was the person that had brought fresh cucumbers and some fresh tomatoes. And an outreach... And and they love the stuff, especially people that have used to used to have their own garden, and now there's yes. de- most of a lot of food banks only have canned food, and I'm I think that's a shame. And you can only get one or two cans. I was yeah. in the food bank in um, Virginia a couple of weeks ago, and you know, get one or two cans, and it's that's not enough. And when I take produce to the place, I see lots of bread. And carbohydrates, yeah. a few cans, nothing mm-hmm. fresh. Yeah, that that just breaks my heart it because does. It, we waste so much food in this country. But at, and just in case our listeners are wondering about it, you don't have to bring two hundred pounds no. of produce to the food bank. No, I, brought, I will I, sometimes I, just bring if I have two extra cucumbers, yes, or you know three or four extra tomatoes or an extra dozen eggs. I'll bring it down there because they can use it. Yes. Even if it's a small amount, there's somebody that's going to get fed, and it doesn't have to go to waste. Likewise, we were talking before on our way down here about canning things. And quite a number of years ago, I would can everything. Okay. And I would, you know, Wait, we do it now. 30 or 40 or 50 quarts of this and that, pickles and tomatoes and just all manner of things. And it got so that we weren't using them all up. And I said, now this is just a waste. Mm-hmm. 
And, and there's only so much food that two people can consume. So for quite a number of years until my garden got too shady and I could no longer do that, I would just grow what I used to have, um, grow the normal amount, and then I'd take the extra to the food bank. Yes. I'd can, you know, maybe 30 cases, 30 um, quarts of tomatoes, because that's realistically for stews and soups and, right, and making yeah. outrageous tomato soup recipe. Um, that was that was enough. Yes. And other people could get to eat good, fresh food. And so I hope that people don't think that, um, that they have to do a lot. No, and the realization is that we... we we go to the supermarket, we go to Kroger's Whole Food or Sprouts or wherever, and we think that all the food has to be absolutely perfect. And I find it so funny because my wife, who grew up, and they sold food on the roadside stand. You know, she said, we always ate the crooked carrots. Mm -hmm. We always ate the tomatoes with the blemishes. We always ate the less perfect because we knew we sold the perfect to the customer, and mm-hmm. she said, you know, they taste the same, and the nutrients are the same. Yep, it's, and they, 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 came from, they came from the same ground. Same. Did you know that there's a supermarket company in France now that is purposely buying the, oh. the oddball-shaped yes. stuff and distributing it? Yes. It, at a lower cost because it, it's it, perfectly uh, good food and it eliminates so much waste yes and if people can get a bargain I was in Kroger for a senior you know they have the senior discount on Wednesday I'm, yes, yes we, we know that too yes. <laughs> and there was a lady there that was examining the bananas and she called the produce manager over and she said young man these really th- these really need to be red taped oh, <laughs> which God. means they go yeah, on the sale. on the bargain mm-hmm. bin yes and it, it's a win-win for everybody. They don't have to pay for the disposal. No. And people can get affordable food. And it doesn't go to our landfills. It would be yeah. different. I would feel less bad if it at least went to some sort of compost yes. somewhere and we were re- returning it to the earth. But it just goes to landfill and heaven knows we don't need more of those. Back several years ago, um, my mother's hairdresser worked for one of the grocery store chains. And he would take home all the leftovers and feed it to his cows. Yes. And that made perfect sense because it wasn't going to waste. Yes. Um, we, we don't do that anymore. I, I remember we moved a lot as a kid, and we lived in one town where we, we put out a bucket, and it was called a pig food. And, mm-hmm. um, and we did that for several years. We lived there, but they stopped doing that because they were... Uh, I don't know, it was New York State government or white government, but said they were afraid that the food might be contaminated. And I'm thinking, okay. Um, yeah. Have well, you ever lived on a pig farm? <laughs> <laughs> pigs, pigs kept in confinement yes. do smell pretty awful. Yes. There was a pig farm in our town, and you probably are familiar with um, the area right across the river in New Jersey from, from New York City where they used to raise lots and lots of pigs, and they would take the restaurant waste yes. and bring it over and, and feed it to mm-hmm. pigs. And we've gotten so sanitized yes. over the years. Um, but we, but we, then we pump them up with, you know, hormones and antibiotics. So it's like, okay. We are so disconnected yes. from our food supply. No and I, I think that 
In part, I think it's because there aren't as many people gardening as there used to be. When I was growing up, everybody had a garden. I had my very first garden before I was three years old. Wow. It was a, it was just a little tiny spot, you know, three feet by three feet, and I was given a tomato to plant, and I was given some bean seeds to plant, and that was my that was my very own garden. Yeah. And my grandmother was kind enough to let me help. And I'm using help in quotation marks because I'm sure I didn't, I wasn't very helpful when I walked through with flowers and and stuff like that. But people are just, have just gotten away from it. So I would like to encourage anybody, if you have kids or if you uh, know your school, your child's teacher in school, get get a kid's gardening program going. Cumming Elementary in Forsyth County has a huge garden program. They have 30 raised beds. Um... Chesapeake Elementary in the north end of the county is starting one this year. Well, what happened to their old one? Did it get paved over? Because we had started one. I had started one up at Chesapeake when the school, ages and ages okay. ago. I, they, they went through a huge expansion. They doubled uh, the size of that building. So, Oh, that, so. that explains it. That's one of the disheartening things about having a kids' gardening program in yes. school. Because they go and then they park the trailers the on it. On top of it, yes. Yeah, and you have to keep moving it. But not always. Some yes. schools, I know school, so schools that have permanent kids' gardens, they, they plant them far enough out near the mm-hmm. football yes. field or something so they're not have a place, you know, consider your church. Your church may have a piece of property mm-hmm. um, where you could raise vegetables. You know, even if you did it on a 50-50, you'd um, yeah. be happy. If anybody would like to have the lesson plans that I did, I still have those lesson okay. plans that I did from 30 years ago okay. that were developed in part by the F, what was then called the FNAP program, which was a, um, a program that Extension Service had to teach people how to grow, and particularly inner city people, how to grow and use food. Okay. Plus, you call up your Extension office. Yes. The most Extension offices yes. have it, and a lot of Master Gardener oh. programs will be help, happy to help you get the programs going. That's what one of our That's one of our Big projects that yes. master gardeners do. I forgot to mention that Dennis, you you are also a master gardener. Yes, I've talked you into taking the class. What about fifteen years ago? Well, it was only ten because that's ten? that's uh, my, it was my first retirement, um, yeah. which I <laughs> terribly failed. Um, and went into another ten years, but. <laughs> so. But um, so yes. So you went from special being special ed, special ed to school principal. School principal. I did K twelve for thirty three years. And how failing, long did you retire? Failing that retirement, I taught at North Georgia College for seven. It was wonderful. I wasn't in charge of bathrooms or anything. It was great. <laughs> so I've been. This is just just that four years full retirement. Okay. Um, anyway, a lot of Master Gardener programs throughout the county will be happy to go out yes. and help your schools or your churches set up a program. And would be more glad to come to your subdivision or if your church wants to do it as uh, a yeah, group. That, I'm glad cool. you mentioned subdivisions because quite a number of subdivisions are being built with some green amount of green space, yes. not just the swimming pool and the tennis courts, but they're adding uh, walking trails and other green space, and that might be an option for and people, too. Some people too. have figured out that they can sneak a raised bed somewhere in their backyard. 
or in, or in their front yard. Well, you won't get away with a lot of front yards. But, um, but you'll have to listen to, to last week's show when okay. Shannon Table and I were talking about hiding your vegetable garden. Yes. When, you, when you have to use your front yard because your yes. backyard is too shady. Yeah, gorilla, gorilla and, gardening is basically what's coming yeah, to um, hiding and, plants. And she made the point, of course, that you can, if you pretty it up, Yes. You can get away with a lot. Peppers are beautiful plants. Peppers are beautiful. The the long um, Asian Oriental eggplants are gorgeous yeah. too, especially the, the purple the whites ones. And the purple ones, yes, yeah, they're beautiful. They look like. And the flowers are huge. Yes. So there's yeah. there's really no excuse for not growing some kind of food. Yeah. Um, when we talk about growing food in unusual places, I started gardening. Well, as a newlywed, I went back to gardening, um, and we lived in an apartment up top of the optometrist shop. I had a little strip of garden alongside the driveway, and I covered my whole front, the whole front steps in pots. I'd come across a book called Cucumbers in a Flower Pot at the local bookstore, and even though I knew that that book probably was a little bit wrong because they had the bananas growing the wrong way. You know, bananas grow upside down. And they had it growing from a tree hanging down. I figured there was some good stuff in it. So I got the book and I started growing. And we'll talk about that right after this break. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is americaswebradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and I'm here today with Dr. Dennis Whittle, and we're talking gardening, vegetable gardening, gardening for kids, gardening in containers. And one of the things that I, right before the break, I mentioned that I started gardening in containers when I was a newlywed because simply I just didn't have enough space. And the book was really cute, Cucumbers in a Flower Pot. It said you could grow a cucumber plant in a six-inch pot. Okay. 
You can grow a tomato, you can grow a cucumber in a six inch pot, you, but oh you're God. not going to get anything. Oh God, I didn't think so. <laughs> One of the things I, I hear from people that say that they have tried growing in containers and they haven't been very successful. Got to pick and the I, right plant. You got to pick the right plant, and more importantly, you have to pick a big pot. Yes. I, I, you know, I look at the stores that sell these tomato plants with the little tower attached uh-huh. to them, yes. and they're, they're what a five gallon pot. That's not adequate to no. grow anything other than maybe a tiny. Tim tomato. Tiny Tim and Red Robin are small enough that you can get away with that. But most, like, my garden this year, um, and it, because containers have gotten really expensive, I'm growing them in very large tree pots. Okay. Um, the ones I got this year um, were made out of recycled paperboard, a forestry product, and it's waxed. And I think they were six bucks a piece. They might have been eight dollars, but okay. they weren't any more than that, including shipping. Did you buy? Oh, you and, and they're okay. yeah. And I bought them online from um, I think it's Greenhouse Mega Store, and I will put the link up on our. Okay. We have a Facebook page for the show, and I will put um, a link up on there for people to for if they want to get the uh, lesson plans or if they want to know where I got these. And these pots are huge. They're 19 inches wide. They're 16 inches tall. It does take a lot of potting mix to fill them. Yes. I use Pro Mix. I get big bags of that. Um, But I'm going to try. A friend of mine lives in Ireland, and she just built her raised beds and stuffed them full of basically compost material. It's not already composted. She okay. only she used all the the grass clippings and okay. torn paper uh, almost, and branches right. and stuff like that, and then she just made little little bits, uh, little holes in that yeah. uh, that she filled with compost to put her plants in. Okay. Kind of like straw bale gardening. Have you ever it's done that? I've, I've seen it and I've worked with people who have done it. Um, I think I'm a little too OCD for it. It's just messy to me, which so I, I don't <laughs> like. The, I don't like the looks of the bale. It, it has to, for me, a garden has to look nice. Oh, I think they can be very attractive. All that lovely golden I'm, wheat I'm, straw. I see people <laughs> driving yellow and strange color green cars and. <laughs> yeah, you know, looks very <laughs> from person to person. It, yeah, it, it all depends on what you're what you're yes, used to. Yeah, but. I would like to encourage anybody to consider, if you don't have the property, grow a few things in pots. If you like to cook, you know, oh. grow herbs. Herbs and are easy. If you got kids, grow herbs and a couple of tomato plants. And oh, especially cherry tomatoes. For cherry kids. tomatoes. I was thinking of making a little sauce for you, the, 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 the basil and for the pizza. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, that you can Hard make pizza sauce. Cheese, but. <laughs> well, but, oh, I have to tell you a recipe. This is for your okay. wife. You mentioned earlier on the drive down here that she has been busy canning and canning yes. and canning. Well, I have a recipe for baked marinara sauce okay. that requires no standing and stirring over a hot stove. Okay. You just take a ceramic plate. Of course, you want to use a non-metal or a coated right. metal plate since you've got tomatoes oh, yeah. and they're acidic. Um and you drizzle a little bit of olive oil on the bottom, right. and you rub it around, and you chop up some garlic, mince some garlic, and you put that over the olive oil. You put some basil leaves on top of that, and then you cut your tomatoes. You don't have to peel them or anything. Okay. You put them cut side down in the tray. You throw them in the oven at 375 for about 45 minutes. 
take them out, let them cool. The skins slip right off. Okay. And you can, if you like your your sauce chunky, you can leave it as is. And if you if you want to have a smooth sauce, you can just you know use a little hand blender or, yeah, or throw it in a food processor or something like that. Yeah. And we have both chunky and smooth sauces. And and it's the, I can't believe I spent so many years over a hot stove. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things about the baked marinara sauce, which came from a lady on called Shirley D and the CompuServe cooks for them. And yes, there is still a CompuServe. Um, One of the nice things is that if you only have a few tomatoes, if you're, you know, towards the end of the season when you don't have a full canner load, or if you're growing in a season like this, for those of you that are not in the southeast um, or the mid-Atlantic states, it's been terrible. It rained. We had a cold, wet spring. I know they had a cold spring up in the Midwest, too. And we had cold and then wet, and then we had warm and we, we had wet. And when Dennis came to pick me up this morning, he was looking at my vegetable garden. And you can tell, even in containers with fresh soil, I have early blight, late blight septoria. I would never can tomatoes from diseased vines right. because okay. you cannot be yes, assured of yeah. how much acidity you have. But it's perfect to do the baked marinara sauce and then you freeze it in one or two cup containers yeah. however you know, however Whatever many you you're going to eat. Um, and because the water has been driven off you have the concentrated flavor. It's not like, you know, when you can tomatoes, normally you'll have a lot of liquid floating up okay. at the top, even if you've packed them as, as tightly as you can. So you've got that done. You don't have to, and you can do, if you have a lot of tomatoes, you can do batch after batch. You can put okay. two batches in at the same time. But if you only have a few tomatoes, you can use that too. And you can use the tomatoes from plants that are diseased. That's one of the okay. things that I'm doing now. Because since it's going to be cooked and then frozen, you don't have to worry about disease spores. You don't have to worry about a change in acidity. Yes. Um, and And it's especially nice at this time of year. when the tomatoes are in such rough shape because you can jazz up the sauce however much it needs. We, you know, when you talk about jazzing up the sauce, uh, I grow onions, and onions' shelf life is can be fairly limited, but we found that if we take the onions, we cut them up, we saute them, and then put them in a slow cooker and cook them down, and they get that nice brown. Ah. And then we separate them out, and we throw them into muffin tins and freeze them. And How when wonderful. frozen in the muffin tins, we take them out of the muffin tins, put them in little baggies, and then when we're ready for a sauce or anything that calls for onion soup, we just take out you know, a, a serving of onions. That's a marvelous and idea. It's just, and it's just like, well, this really works because some years the we get a lot of onions and mm-hmm. we, we need onions, you know, for more than two or three months. Sure. Yeah. You need to put them in your soups and stews all yes. winter long. Yes. Yeah, so what a fantastic idea. And, and if they, do you, you cook them down till they're caramelized? They're caramelized, but in the slow cooker. And so you're mm-hmm. stirring. Uh huh. So, yeah. Yeah. Which kind of really works. So, I don't know yeah. if there's a formal recipe for this. Is my my wife is quite creative. Well, and if she was up up in Upper New York State, she probably grew. They probably grew a oh, whole lot of onions. A lot of. Onions. I remember driving through there when we were house hunting at one point, um, and just onion fields and onion fields. Yes. Every valley was all that rich soil yes. and onion fields. And on a hot day, whooey. Yeah, they grew a tremendous <laughs> amount of food. But they have they, you know, they almost do. 100 acres. Now, we were also talking about storing potatoes. And you have a way to store potatoes that's a little different. 
I, I well, what I need is a better way of storing potatoes. Uh, but I, I, but I, I store them in bins in our basement, which is mm-hmm. you know, cooler. And, of course, we keep them covered. And they'll store for a number of months there. And a lot of people just get really upset when they start growing, you know, sprouting. Mm-hmm. Well, just knock the sprouts off. They're perfectly yep. good. The, yep. the potatoes aren't bad at that point in time. Yeah, as long as you keep them covered so they don't turn green because, yes, of course, them, green potatoes yes. are, are not good. No. I have a short potato story. My grandparents my on my mother's side... Um, my grandfather had a grocery store and, and a butcher shop, and he would bring home big bags of potatoes. And one year, my grandmother got so tired of eating potatoes yes. that she told them that they had spoiled okay. and put them out by the garage in back, by the alley. Okay. And, of course, come spring, I guess it was mild enough or they had enough snow that winter in Chicago that, that they didn't freeze, and come spring, all those potatoes sprouted. <laughs> Growing up an immigrant family, uh, we ate potatoes every day. Mm-hmm. I was so excited to find out there was something called spaghetti. Which <laughs> is like, wow, we don't have to have potatoes every day? No. So, yes, I, I understand where the man was coming from. But yeah. we, lo- we love the potatoes. Today. Yeah. And, you know, I was telling you about purple potatoes. It's five times the antioxidants in a purple. Really? But, you know, all your colored fruit and mm-hmm. vegetables just tend to be higher in, in um Antioxidants and, and other minerals and vitamins. Um, so it's yeah, um, all that beta carotene, all, all, and, and stuff like that, all that carotenoids and things like. Yeah, um, one of the ways ways, of course, the problem with our modern homes is that we don't have cold cellars anymore. Yes, uh, my husband's family had a cold cellar, and things would go down there, and they would stay pretty much all year round. I was reading that someone has created a small cold cellar. They made it out of um, an old refrigerator. And what they did was to run the water from where it came in from the house, from the well or the the outside municipal water line. And they would ran a coil of that through in the back of the refrigerator, drilled a hole so it could go in in just in the back. And that way, it's pretty much 55 degrees Yes, and the water's our, coming up out of the well yes. or out of the municipal source, and it keeps circulating. And then it, once it goes through that, then it goes up to the rest of the house. Okay, so yeah. it, our it our does, well is 376 feet, so it stays. Oh, that's a cold well. It, yeah, yeah, it stays brisk yeah. all year long. One of the things that I noticed since we got we still have our well, but I use that for uh, watering things outside. But with city water, unless it's um, during the morning or evening when there are a lot of people home on the mm-hmm. street and using water, yes. our water can get very, very warm in the yes. day, you know, because our soil yes. it gets so warm. And I, they planted ours very much shallower. But, of course, up in the Midwest, up in the north, uh, the water lines are way far down, and they, they don't have the problem. Anyway, he said that works just fine. Um, yeah. He put a little fan in there that turns on periodically and stores all his I mean, he's got one for apples one for potatoes okay because so that might be an option for you that, that is that is a thought because we that's not even hard to do 
<laughs> yeah. And, like and you know, you, they're junk refrigerators all the time. Yes. Or all semi-working refrigerators that, you know, you want to have the Freon removed responsibly. But you can get them very often on FreeCycle. People have an old non-working yes. refrigerator. They would be. Inexpensive. Do you know about FreeCycle, by the yes. way? Okay. Yeah. I love FreeCycle. I get a lot of my gardening supplies okay. that way, and I've been able to get people to come over and when I've had too many blueberries to manage. Um, I've had I met a very nice young family that's come over to pick blueberries, and it's just great. The kids get in there, and they can climb underneath and get the ones that I can't okay. bend to get. Um, something to th- for people to think of. Uh, you can just go to FreeCycle.org and get your, you know, find okay. a, a group. Yeah, I've been on the site, but I've never gotten anything. Uh, oh, my. it's 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 wonderful. I'm using it a lot for house cleaning too, because okay. I don't need all the furniture that we've had. So I just list it on FreeCycle. Okay. Somebody needs it, um, and it's out of my life. That's would and, be would be good. That, and because our potatoes, you know, I really wish we could keep them longer and longer, but um, it's very hard to. to yeah, it, it's tough. Yes. Well, now, now you know another way yes. that you can give it a try. Um, I also heard that putting an apple in with them will inhibit sprouting. Okay. I have not tried that myself yet, but you've got all the potatoes and you can give and it a try. you have apple trees. Yeah. And we're coming to the end of the show for this week, but I'd like to remind you that we do have a Facebook page, um, America's Homegrown Veggie Show. And you can also, if you have a gardening question or a topic that you'd like to hear discussed, um, you can email me through the radio station. It's America. AmericasWebRadio.com. Thank you so much for being with us, Dennis. I really enjoyed it. And we'll see you back here next week.